Hi, this is Eddie Deason. You're listening to Breaking the Fourth Wall. I was Mandark in Dexter's Laboratory. Ha 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 ha. You are listening to Breaking the Fourth Wall on Realm of the Mist Entertainment. Hey, what's up, guys? Christopher Stalick back with another Breaking the Fourth Wall, and I'll be honest with you, I'm excited for this one. I, I, I say that almost every episode, but I am literally excited for this one because I get to break my own cherry on Breaking the Fourth Wall. Four years in, I've never gotten a chance to sit down and talk to a fellow musician. Uh, <laughs> I've talked to actors, I've talked to writers, I've talked to poets. Hell, I've talked to a male escort, but ah. I have not had the opportunity to sit down with a fellow songwriter but this guy's beyond me because not only is he established and done so many things that like I can dream about, but this man also comes from a famous family of musicians and, and actors and producers. And like, I, I'm excited to pick his brain so I could figure out how to hell, I, what the hell I was doing wrong this whole time. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jesse Blaze Snyder. Welcome to the show, Jesse. Thank you very much. Maybe we can pair notes and we can find out what we've both been doing wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I, I, I was a musician since I was 13 years old and I was a, a professional wrestler since 20. Uh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I love wrestling. I, I'm, a, I'm a former gymnastics coach and I, I actually got into that because I loved, um, you know, just performing. I wanted to bring something really big to the table and, um, you know, to be able to do some front flips and some back flips on stage, <laughs> that seemed important to me. And I really just wanted to like change the game out of the gate. You ever um, come I never about my voice. If you, if you come to Philadelphia, I'll take you over to a training session, uh, training center and let you try it out. Well, that's what I wanted to say. So when I went to the adult gymnastics classes, I was blown away to find out that it wasn't all women. It was mostly men. It was crazy people like myself it was break dancers and it was, um, you know, uh, semi-pro wrestlers. And uh, I'm still great friends with my friend Juan and, uh, and Johnny to this day. Juan was doing double fronts to body slam people. He's this skinny little, um, little Spanish guy. And he, I mean, he's not that little, he's tall, a lanky guy. But, I mean, he would just woo, 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 bang and nail people. And then Johnny was like, a really big guy. I mean, you know, built like, you know, where he couldn't quite put his arms down and he would do backflip body slams onto people. It was the most impressive stuff ever. And I loved hanging out with them and practicing. You know, so I learned how to do, you know, the, you know, takedowns and, and a lot of those things. Cause it was just some fun to have uh, while doing some gymnastics at the adult class. It was great. I mean, that's like some of my most, my most fun memories. I actually got to reconnect with my buddy, Joe Prianti, because he opened up his own school. He was my, my coach, like the person who used to run, run the night. And, um, and I, I'm sure he's doing an adult night. and It's got to be insane, just like ours is. And if it's not insane, then I'm going to get in there and I'm going to make it insane like it used to be. Because we used to have so much fun, man. We'd just be setting up holes, you know, and be like, all right, you got to dive through that hole and do a front flip and you can't knock over the thing. <laughs> it, was just, it, was, it was just adult uh, playtime, adult playground. And I, I, I just had such a great time. I, I love doing stuff like that. 
well again with with uh since we since we're starting in on this uh for those that are not familiar or don't don't necessarily recognize his name uh the man's been all over the map but uh, to start off with you are obviously your father was uh the lead vocalist of twisted sister mr d schneider who yeah that's last- amazing I, I i love him i've always been such a big fan of his work i think he's so underrated um and uh and he's just a really brilliant songwriter a really great lyricist i think it uh, it has proved itself over time in the uh, sports stadiums around the world um, half the reason why i love sports as much as i do getting to go to stadiums with my father um you know where they were playing i want to rock for um john rocker when he was the the pitcher for that one team and uh we're not going to take it at jet stadium or giant stadium and you know music moves us man and uh you know that that was always the thing I wanted to do. And seeing my father in particular is really interesting because he can control a crowd like you would not believe. And he's been given credit where credit's due by Ozzy Osbourne and Lemmy Kilmeister. You can go online somewhere and find um, them talking about him. And, you know, these are people who actually saw him live. So many of the people who will shit talk or diminish Twisted Sister have never actually been in an audience when they have played. You know, their, their catalog is not as well known but it's the delivery, man. And right. D. Snyder's delivery beats all. He is just a showman and a half. And I studied the hell out of him. Um, you know, that's why I had to learn how to do backflips. I'm like, the only way I'm going to measure to this man <laughs> is if I can really bring something new to the table. <laughs> you know, I, you know, as far as I was concerned, he was Batman and I was Robin and I needed to be Nightwing now. And I was like, how do I, you know, carve my own path and be, you know, the guy that, um, you know, that deserves um, to be held in the same regard. And, um, you know, and I just really uh, tried to absorb all that that I could. And now I'm so proud to say that the Snyder family is just prolifically awesome and famous. And, you know, people who have their ear to the ground with uh, film know my brother Cody has a multi-million dollar project with Margot Robbie attached. I think it's at New Line. I might be messing up, which uh, I think it was the same people who put out it or the same producers. And, um, you know, that's coming down the pike for him. And he's been, you know, getting hired to do all sorts of big commercials for Captain Morgan and, uh, you know, and pilots for Disney and stuff like that. And uh, my brother Shane was on, uh, you know, or off Broadway doing a really cool, funny puppet show that got written up really well, um, you know, in uh, I think the New York Times had given it five stars, uh, doing puppet Shakespeare. And he's just such a great performer and comedian. And, uh, and then my sister has uh, become a, a scene queen. She's, um, she's on Instagram, you know, with a big following and designing her own clothes, really like S&M kind of stuff very cool very edgy it's funny my mom was always like trying to make her pretty and she was just like f this you know, like like <laughs> i want to look like a, i want to look like a slut an animal on a leash like you know and her style is is really radical and and cool you should uh, follow her on instagram uh, I uh she will. is shy snyder and um and then uh, you know of course my mom the matriarch of our family she's the most talented one of the whole bunch um, by far, like by far, my mother has it in spades in every area and nobody knows. Uh, you know, she did one music video with Tom Savini uh, for Twisted Sister and she's been the special effects makeup artist on all my brother's films ever since. Oh, and, uh, you know, go check out Fool's Day and check out All That Remains and you'll see 
that she seems like a high-level quality makeup artist working in the business. I mean, she's worked with Katie Chong and Jack Hafferty and covered the Olympics and did press junkets for, um, you know, The Professional and a million other movies that were coming out at that time. Um, she's just always been a behind-the-scenes person. And the people who have benefited from her creativity has just been our family as she decorates every Christmas tree and personally you know like paints and spackles and rebuilds rooms to make them magical you know our dining room in uh, when i was growing up had this amazing spackling job where it looked like stones were coming through the wall and we're in a freaking you know one of those cookie cutter expensive but you know cookie cutter homes where they all look exactly the same not ours not our house. The stuff that my mom did, you know, even working with the landscapers to build this incredible waterfall in the front and the landscaping, just, it's insane. The Snyder family is just so talented. I am honored to be amongst them. They are just, just, I'm, I love them all. And they're just, they're so talented. I'm so glad that all of their talents are finally being um, acknowledged. Well, what, what's funny is you're, you're kind of, you're kind of taking me off, uh, off, offline here because uh. I was intending to get to all this about like your, your family, your, your own career, but I was trying, I've, I used your father as a lead in. <laughs> and it was kind of funny because when you were saying like all the things that he's famous for, uh, unfortunately I'd never seen Twisted Sister live. I've seen, Uh-oh. I've seen video, oh, obviously I grew up with the music, but I never poor man, You have to be in the room. <laughs> you have to be in the room. One of the rock stars was describing a story that I heard that was so wonderful about just all of the people at this insane festival jumping, jumping off the ground to I Wanna Rock. And just, you know, and he, he, he was so great. He would build, you know, he would build the rapport with the audience and he would slowly be getting them to cooperate in slow ways. And, you know, always winning everybody over through energy just through how much he was putting into it you know and that's the thing that i learned and you know i probably learned it too well i think i really hurt and injured myself in my first like decade of performing because i was seeing what my father did i was like yes and i again i love being physical i'm a football player i'm actually a national champion semi-pro football player and i'm only five nine so this is like power from a reasonably sized guy, you know, trying to, you know, play at a high level. Cause I just, I love being physical and I would put that into my performance. Like you wouldn't believe because I saw just, you know, he just generated energy and it was just, it would first, it would affect the front row and then it would start to affect the, the back row. And then it would start to you just, and it would fill up the room. He was just like, he was like Blanca in Street Fighter, you know, and oh, you just wow. keep hitting that one button and he's like, <laughs> you know, and by the end of the Twisted Sister show, yeah, you were just, you, you, okay, all right, D, you got me. I came in hating your guts, but screw it, you know, because who doesn't want to sing I Want to Rock at a rock show? Right. Everybody does. You know, you can shortchange that song all you want. It's just a quiet metaphor for, I want to feel something. Mm-hmm. And like, oh my God, like, boy, do you feel something? And I've been in those crowds so many times. I mean, it was so funny. I was seeing Zebra, and I'll get to the end of that story in a second, but I was seeing a Zebra with my friends who are related to them. I don't mean to throw them under the bus, but I think this is, I guess, a regular reaction to your, your average musician was 
they seen Zebra enough. And during the show, they were just kind of hanging out. Right, right. And I'm like, literally, I'm standing there going, I have literally never done this. If my dad's on stage, I'm watching. <laughs> he, he's great. Like, he's, he's fucking great. I'm going to watch whatever he does. I mean, I used to sit outside his door while he was recording his radio station, uh, his radio show, uh, when he did um, uh, D. Snyder Radio in Connecticut, and it was syndicated in Rhode Island, I think. Um, and um, I would sit outside his door and just listen. Cause he's just so charming and he's, he's just, he's got a wonderful turn of phrase. He's a huge um, Gene Shepard fan. And you know, there's something so soothing about a Christmas story and uh, other movies that have been made from his work and some of the, uh, the books and stuff. He's just got a really great cadence. And my dad has like this badass version of that where he's like super story time. And like, you're like really want to get in there, but at the same time you feel like you're talking to a dragon. <laughs> you know well, that, that, like ah oh, this dragon i love hearing him tell stories he makes them all sound kind of spooky well that was that was one of the reasons i wanted to uh, mention your dad because uh, what, what you had said is like people who have not seen twisted sister live don't really get it and and i would say you're you're half right because i love him even though i've never seen him live i love and respect twisted sister always have one of the first albums i ever bought on cassette i'll be honest one of the first ones i bought was come out and play you know and uh great stuff on it did you get did you get to see the be cruel to your school video yeah yeah i've seen the videos on mtv and all the only thing the only did thing you see I it on mtv I, I, this is kind of a question i've been trying to get to the bottom of so i'm interested in your perspective all right um did you actually see it on mtv now you're putting me on the spot i'm not sure see because i know, I, like, I know i've seen things like you know uh i want to rock and and all that but now i'm wondering if i haven't see, just seen it on youtube well, I'll tell you, you know, my side of it of like what I'm trying to figure out, because I was always told the story that basically that video got shut down and they, it was a real bane to Twisted Sister's career at that time right. uh, that they didn't play it. Um, and I guess maybe I'm intuitively coming upon the answer now. I guess that's true. But then when MTV2 came about and literally there was some years where they weren't playing any music and all of a sudden they had to form a new music department. They searched <laughs> through the music video archives and Be Cruel to Your School got added to rotation on the classic rock channels. And then people got to see it who gave a crap then. So because it's such a great music video, but apparently it didn't come out at the time. Well, that, that, that was one of the things that, that I was going to state is like, if, if there's anything I, I respected about your dad more than any of his, his, uh, his catalog of career, be it the DJ or, or music with Twisted Sister or even some of his solo project stuff, um, it was his fight against censorship. His, his sitting in, you know, in court yes. fighting against, uh, fighting against uh, Tipper Gore and her, her <laughs> group of... Uh, trying to destroy music and, and, and expressionism within music. And the reason, that's something I will never forget and will always respect the man for more than anything else he's done. I agree 100%. And, um, you know, the thing about my father, why I always uh, have worshipped at his altar and um, just honored him, you know, as completely as I could. You know, I'm his kid, so of course I'm like, course. you yelled at me. <laughs> but, um... I'll put you on the phone with my kids, teach them that, because they, they look at me like, yeah, Dad, nobody cares. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> D. Snyder has some presence. He can scream. <laughs> uh, you, don't want, you don't want to be on the other end of D. Snyder. Um, as well, you should. I just wish it never was turned on me. Uh, you know, but, um, but I forgive him, and I love him. He was my dad, and he always just taken care of me as best he could, I'm sure. Um, but um, 
you know, the um, oh, you got me off track. What were we just talking about? Uh, his, yeah, I love his, him so much. I was overwhelmed with emotion, and then his, his fight, his fight against censorship. Oh, his fight against the pyramidy. Yeah, the, the 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 reason why I honor him, um, you know, for all time, and I believe he should be honored for all time, uh, is the same reason why some people bitch about him, is because uh, you know he does what he says and he says what he do. <laughs> Right. He is a man of his word. Uh, he's a man of conviction. Uh, if he thinks that, you know, the behavior of an artist is really unbecoming, you know, he'll say so. Um, and, uh, you know, he was right to call out Kiss. It's, it, it is sad that they're not including Ace Freely and uh, Peter Chris in the uh, Kiss stuff. You know, the fans want that. And, man. like, get over yourselves. And, um, you know, and and freaking Paul Stanley proved how powerful my father is and what a huge rock star and big deal he really is by answering the call to and getting in his big dissertation about who's Dee Snyder, who's Twisted Sister. He's an <laughs> asshole. Um, but, um, <laughs> you know, God love him. He's a great rock star. He's brought great things to the table and I appreciate him. And, uh, and I love him anyway. But, um, but he's talking out of his butt. Uh, you know, and getting defensive over something he should be defensive over. You know, he's not really behaving righteously. And, um, you know, I too believe in the people who are in the front of the pack and are being seen should try to behave righteously. And um, I'm not, uh, I don't object to people calling out the others who aren't necessarily doing the job if they feel that that's their part in the game. And I think, you know, my dad really loves heavy metal. He really does. He like from the, from his deep in his heart, he loves heavy metal. You know, he was like embarrassed when I was like, you know, I really like Genesis. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you, know? you know what? Yeah. There's wrong with it. Not, not that I'm anybody special or anything, but I mean like a lot of my musical influences, I played hard rock and heavy metal most of my life, but I mean, me too. I'm a hard rock guy. I'm not a big heavy metal guy, but I'm a, I'm a huge hard rock guy. Rage Against the Machines, my favorite band. I like plenty of metal. I don't, this it at all uh, that's just not my preference but i like everything you know i like country and heavy metal about the same and i like blues and soul well blues and soul are kind of my i love blues and soul well that, that that's where i was going it's like i've taken influence from from every format of music i listen to hell yeah you know, i love rap i've my new album like, I'm, I'm, I'm rapping all over the place i i i, I kind of feel rap. like i was allowed to do it and, um, and I was like, that's bullshit. Like, you're good at that. And like, you love it. And you write stuff like that all the time. Like, just do it. <laughs> and, uh, and I really actually got like invited to do it by a friend of mine, uh, uh, John Hertzfeld, who's a Oscar nominated director. Uh, I'm just like, I love saying that because he was like, made such a big deal of my music that he used for his uh, movie Alive. And uh, they used it to promote the movie, uh, not because it's a famous song, but because they loved it, the song and they thought it went beautiful with the trailers and it was used in the credits. And I, it was such an honor to, um, you know, to be a part of that. So he, had, when he asked me to do this song for this boxing show, I was just like, all right, that's it. I'm breaking out some rap. And, um, and I made this awesome kind of send up to Lincoln park uh, called KO. And um, you know, and it's just, you know, it's that moment in the fight when it, you're not going to win by decision. You know, and then just like for me, like that's that was the whole thing. Like you're not going to win by decision. You need a knockout, and and like and and it's just really pure and and visceral. We just made a video for it that's uh, probably going to be coming out like second week of July. 
Oh, that's awesome. Well, see that, that, that that's the thing. Like I, like I was saying, like you were saying rap, I, I like old school rap. I don't care for the modern day rap, but I mean, I don't like what's going on now, but there's people that I love, uh, you know, largely people who hype me up. Like I, I really got into DMX from being on football teams. Um, you know, just there's, he's got a ton of music that'll hype you up. But my favorite song of his, I can't sing because it's got the N word in it. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's like terrible. I mean, like I'm privately like singing it, you know, like, like so anybody around? It's just, you know, it's, it's like, I just love when I bring an old crew. It's just a bigger piece of cake for me to chew a hole through. It's just like the greatest little lyric of all time. Yes, yes, DMX, spit it. Um, and uh, 50 Cent, I really like. I think he's got a great knack for melody. And you know who I love? B.O.B. B.O.B. Bob. He, oh, I love his music. It's, it's so melodic and so soulful. And his raps are great and empowering and really empowering music. I just really like him a lot. Man, you, you, you bring it back. You're bringing back like a bad memory here on the, uh, the, the streets of Philadelphia. And some of the oh, tell me what happened in the bad neighborhoods driving driving around with my buddies and all that and we're jamming fucking body count you know mm. I heavy metal band and, and you remember you remember the- i know which song you're probably talking about oh yeah that's blaring out of our car and everybody's just looking at us like what's that white boy <laughs> mm-hmm. there goes the neighborhood look it up i'm not going to quote it look it yeah. up my dad <laughs> accidentally played that on live radio on long island Oh, no. <laughs> yes, he accidentally played it live radio in Long Island. And when they heard what was coming through the speakers, that they were not playing an edited version, everybody was like <laughs> smashing into each other, trying to get to the board to, to shut it off. Oh, no. And it's funny, I ended up years later having a series of dreams where my really annoying alarm clock would like break into my dream and first somebody came up to me and they were like hey jesse this is the sound an alarm clock makes <laughs> but then the next one was body count on the radio but this time it's edited and and if you don't like it you can and because we don't and i'm slowly waking up oh man yeah, I, I remember that. People people like throwing shit at my car as I'm at a red light and all that because of the It's like, you do realize it's an all-black group singing this, right? <laughs> you got to do what you love somehow, man. I really like, you know, I'm always going to the pages of like, because I love conspiracy theory, and I'm always going to the pages of these people who do not think I'm their audience. You know, these like really, really, just, it's like so many radical people who are willing to talk about some of these subjects. I wish they would compare notes because they're all saying the same crap but um and they, they're, they're just like you know you know doing their crazy thing um and it's they, they they would never think that this you know former atheist spiritualist uh you know and uh, white boy is listening to really cool stuff about you know native americans african-american culture you know what they have come to believe about what happened to their culture and things that were done that aren't talked about and you know piecing together pieces of history and Catholics doing the same thing in all these different groups you know everybody's talking about the same kind of stuff that you know we're being manipulated in so many ways and we've been cut off from our past and we need to get back to it and really that's why I've you know become a, a modern you know shaman spiritualist and uh, you know plant medicine man to reconnect to the source of all things and, um, you know, and be one with the universe. And uh, I mean, since I started doing this, I've been, I've written the most incredible songs I've ever written in my life. 
And, um, you know, just they've just come out of me. No effort needed. And, you know, you see it with Jimi Hendrix. He had soul, man. So many of the artists of the 70s, they were connecting with psychedelic plants and they were, you know, getting this sort of message from the earth and the plants and, you know, the animals that, you know, we're one and we're, we're misaligned. We're, we're abusing our planet. And uh, we all need to try to, uh, you know, get into alignment with ourselves and, and so we can heal ourselves and get over all these sicknesses that we have. You know, so many things can be healed from good nutrition. And uh, that's something that we really don't have right now. And we're just uh, so many of us are doing stuff that we don't love. And, you know, when you don't do things you love, you wither away. And uh, you, you got to have something to do. You know, the people who live to 110 are the people who had something to do every day. Right. Something that they love to do. And they live to 110. The people who die young are people who aren't really happy where they are. And, uh, you know, I really have come to believe through, you know, the plant medicine path, that the message is that we make ourselves sick. Um, <clears throat> we make ourselves sick in various ways to try to send ourselves a message. But uh, what we've learned in our culture is to, you know, quiet the symptom. And when you quiet the symptom, you don't get the message. So it's really, you know, for me, like when I, I woke up with uh, chronic body pain at 30, and um, I, uh, you know, so much of this is in my new album. Uh, you know, I have a song called Carry Me Home, which is, I think, is like the fourth track. You know, my mom and my brother, they didn't understand. They didn't understand what I was going through. And I wrote that song and my brother and my mom have texted me how they've just been listening to it over and over and over again, crying, you know, crying that they, they didn't, they were being hard on me when I was really having a hard time and I really needed some help. And because I, it was so unlike me, I was so prolific and I just do things all the time. And then one day I woke up and I couldn't do anything. Right. And like my biggest priority was like, I couldn't play with my kids and I just started like having to just do what I could do, like the things that were within my reach, because I just felt so broken and I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe like it was like a switch had been flipped. And I mean, it just put me into a depression and anxiety. I mean, I ended up uh, getting a divorce with my wife, which I mean, I really do think was overdue unfortunately uh you know we have four kids together she's one of my best friends and uh i will always treat her that way uh no matter if she'd be mad at me or or not um but um you know <clears throat> i had to change my life i had to change my life in so many ways and look at what i was doing and what this was as a message to me i realized that i had gotten hit by a car when i was 11 i knew i got hit by a car obviously right. but um i realized that i never processed the injury that my mom had made a big deal about me getting hit by a car and that the first thought I had was my mom's going to be so mad at me. And then my next thought was just a series of thoughts about how I was going to cover this up and it wasn't ever going to affect anybody in any way, shape or form. This was not going to be a strain on anybody's existence. I didn't get hit by a car. Everything's fine. I'm fine. It's good. And I got on my bike and I had some, some good Samaritans pull me off of it. My bike was slightly bent but just not quite bent enough so that I could ride it. And, um, uh, you know, my mom passed by and like somebody ran over her grave, you know, she knew that I had gotten hit by a car, um, you know, went to the bike thing. I had a BMX helmet on my 
on my steering wheel right. and um I stopped, but i wasn't wearing it i was coming from karate <laughs> and um and uh this lady was trying to make the light and i was probably going a little too early and i got hit by this suv and um while i did not worry about this at all and i just moved on from it at the time i really messed up my left leg and my foot i knocked a bone out in my foot which i did not get put back in until i was about 32. Ouch. Um, I played semi-pro football, won a national championship at 27 or something like that, or, or you know, 26 or 27, um, on a on a foot with a main bone out. And I was doing all of my running on my right axis, and um, I had scoliosis really bad from like my body kind of twisting up from being just on one leg, and um, this crazy sort of upper cross syndrome that happened with my back and shoulders, I think exacerbated by my predilection for doing tricep, uh, what do you call it, dips. I love doing dips because I had really big triceps and I loved it. And I, I used to do dips like crazy. And I think I really, really made my shoulder really bad doing that just over and over and over again. I was beating on a bad thing and I but I would never acknowledge this pain and because I played contact sports all the time I always had an excuse for why I was injured and why I was hurting or whatever and I was addicted actually to the pain of I guess I was addicted to the pain and then addicted to healing from it the next day like I would play a game destroy myself and then I'd be able to lay down and be like oh yeah baby like just relax and watch the movie like you weren't yeah, exactly. And um, I, but I, I never acknowledged this. And at 30, it just wouldn't go no more. My stretchy body wouldn't stretch any further. And I started to feel horrible pain. And it took me seven years of, of hard work, like to get to the bottom of this stuff. And, you know, now my whole family has worked with ayahuasca other than my dad, you know, we've all been to Peru, my, my sister, Cheyenne, my brother, Cody, Shane, and my mom, because we all had different things that we were, trying to work out. And um, after my mom saw how great it was for my brother, Shane and Cody, they um, went down and I had already been working with psilocybin for a long time for my depression. And that helped me so much and helped me lift my depression big time. You know, I mean, I took it on the recommendation of Steve Jobs initially, because he said he wouldn't have invented Apple computers, if not for an LSD trip in college. So when <laughs> I read, yeah, he just said that he was a direct quote. You can go, I mean, I didn't say it exactly like he said it, but you could look it up. And, um, you know, I typed in, you know, LSD to read about it. And I read about psilocybin, psilocybin was mushrooms. And I was like, well, that's a living thing. I was like, maybe I'll do that instead of the, the you know, the chemical thing. Right. And I had one of the most incredible experiences of my life and just like changed my mind about atheism. You know, I was just like, nope, it's like the opposite of what I thought. It's not that it's limited and nothing. It's that it's so much you can't even understand. And, um, and that was the beginning of like my spiritual journey. And, um, and, and as I connected, music just started pouring out of me beautiful music i mean like i'm really ashamed that i haven't been able to get more of it recorded and out into the world because i'm sitting on some things that are really beautiful that just like i was just honored to have it come through me and i and so often i haven't felt like i've been doing any of the writing it's just sort of like what mozart where the hell did that come from and uh you know so i i just for me it's been an incredible intellectual experience and then an incredible healing experience um, as I've 
figure it out. I mean, I literally, you know, so, <laughs> sorry, something in my throat. Um, but um, Mother Ayahuasca, she comes to you, you know, she's the spirit of the plant and most people see her. I never saw her, but I spoke to her many times and she, you know, led me through. She was just like, so Jesse, do you remember what you said? You know, the first thing you thought when you woke up from getting hit by the car? And I said, yeah, my mom's gonna be so mad at me. And she's like, and did you ever think, boy, I just sustained one hell of an injury. I should really, um, you know, take care of myself and make sure I nurse all these things back to health. And I was like, no. She's like, have you ever thought anything like that? I was like, no. She was like, and this is why you haven't healed. You, you didn't even acknowledge that it happened. You just covered it up. And it's, it's really a great lesson to anybody who's ever been raped, anybody who's ever been hurt, you know, really deeply. Uh, so often we cover up our reaction to it because we can't, we just can't process it at the time. It's just so, right. it's too much for us to take. You know, people have post-traumatic stress syndrome. And I guess that's what I had. I guess in that moment, I gave myself post-traumatic stress syndrome by just bottling it up forever. I'm like, nope, no, I will take this car. I can take on a car. I'm fine. Done. And that was really strong of me to have done at the time. And I'm kind of impressed and brave of me when I think about it. Um, but, oh my God, I destroyed myself in the name of bravery. I just, I destroyed myself. Imagine how great I would have been at football if I wasn't injured. I love football. I could have been freaking pro. Maybe I still can be now that I've healed myself. Well, I mean, you, you bring up a lot of good points and, and, and I'm, 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 try, I'm dying like to bring up the points, but I don't want to interrupt you because you're like, you really get a flow going and I, it's like, oh man, where's he going to go with this one? You know what I mean? It's, it's really cool. But I mean, you know, like, uh, like you were saying, like uh, music flows from, from you, the, the journey and everything that you've taken. And it, it's ironic to me because also tying into the fact that you were, uh, you know, handling your pain and, and, and shrugging it off and being, you know, as you said, it's it's almost ironic because almost in the same light uh the way i write for for example um my my poetry my my lyrics they come from anger everything that pisses me i've got an ex-wife that makes sure i will constantly write songs until i'm dead okay i mean not the ex-wife that has the thing i i love my patty she's she's wonderful she's she's a great mom but um no, if I can, I'm, if I can have well, I'm very fortunate in that regard. Yeah. I'm sorry that you're having difficulty there. That really sucks. Oh no, that, I wasn't looking for sympathy on that. But uh, like, no, but I mean, you deserve sympathy on it. It does suck. You know, I, I know so many people who are dealing with that, and um, you know, my my path there has just been to just try to take the high road no matter what. And um, you know, sometimes the people that we're with are angry, but if we have any children between us or any ways that we have to deal with each other. It's just, you know, we love them for some reason. We hate them for the same reasons, you know, but to just forgive them and know that somewhere under there is everything that we loved and, um, and that it's all good. And if you can be the better person, why, why not? You know? Well, no, I absolutely agree with you. But what I was saying, what I was meaning by was uh, the anger that I feel that I bottle up, the, the, the aggravation at the world, the aggravation at the, the, the nightly news, the aggravation of the fact that I can't afford, you know, everything for the kids or that I'm struggling with my bills or, you know, all the, all the stuff that pisses me off. 
I channel into the writing and that became my therapy. You, you know what I mean? That that's instead of punching walls or going out and doing something stupid, I sit down and I write a song and I usually feel better about that. That's why I was sitting there. I don't know if you noticed, like while you were talking, I was sitting there with kind of a dumbass smirk on my face because that's exactly what I was thinking when you were talking about how you, how you release a lot of your demons. And I'm like, that's exactly why I write. <laughs> you know, I, I go by energy and you know, I, I didn't, trust myself for so long or trust these things. I'm a very intuitive person. And now that I've come into, you know, the spiritual perspective, I recognize that there's actually a lot more going on. And the same way, you know, the birds can fly in a V because they can sense each other's energy. Uh, you can use that ability to sense each other's energy everywhere you go. And like, sometimes I'm like, uh, you know, it, like in a stack, I'm like, should I stagger these interviews or whatever? And I'm like, no, man, like whoever you see, you're going to end up talking about the things that you're supposed to talk about with them. And I've never had an interview where I've ended up talking about the same thing twice, other than occasionally a couple individual anecdotes that I like to say, you know, like if somebody brings up my dad, uh, right. you know, uh, you know, sometimes there's a couple sentences I might say, but usually I'm inspired to share something else. You were like, come out and play. I'm like, come out and play. Be cruel to school. Let's talk about that. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> so I, I, I totally felt your vibe and I, I knew as I was saying it that, um, this probably speaks to you. You probably come from the same place. And, you know, I recognize that as my driving factor as well. Um, I didn't want to admit it for a long time. So bravo to you for admitting that it's anger. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Because I didn't admit that it was anger. I, somebody said that to me recently, uh, but like in a good way. And I was like, yes, perhaps I'm angry. And you know what? I, I, what I realize I'm angry about is I'm angry that, um, and I have a song about this on the Blacklight District album called Bizarro, because we're living in the bizarro world. Right. Everything is backwards. Um, the financial system is founded on debt. It could be founded on the opposite idea. <laughs> the, the mere idea that we are finding everything on debt is just stupidity of the highest degree because it will affect the bankers the same way. It's a positive thing for us to all be constantly creating equity forever and forever and never creating debt. But we have an idea of a debt system when we could have an idea of an equity system. And it's just absurd that we are not thinking that way. So right there, Everything is backwards. And that creates a system where everything's backwards. Everybody is struggling. Everybody can't do the things that they want to do. There's no systems to organize freaking talent or any of these things to help people find stuff. You're not being taught the things in school that you need to know when you go out to the real world, like how to do your taxes. And when you try to do your taxes and you go online to get their stupid tutorial, you still can't understand what it says. Right. No, you're, it's just you're absurd. Wrong. We are in the bizarro world. This is not a merit system. I've been in every business under the sun. None of it is merit. It is all freaking luck and a combination of things. It's just so shitty. Uh, I, everything I, I, is done so shitty. I'm and everybody is just being screwed constantly by by the people with the money the people with the money are the ones that have the money so you couldn't do it without them the people with the money couldn't do it without us 
It's just absurd. It is absurd. It is, there's a stupid song. It was like, money ain't funny when it's used this way. It should be 50-50, but you hear them say 60-40, my friend, maybe 90-10. The money always gets you in the end. And you're not wrong. Hey, you know what? I'm glad you brought that up. I'm glad you, you, you brought that up. I mean, cause, cause we're on the music scene, obviously. And you brought that something you said struck like really home with me. And, and I'll give examples on why it's because of the fact that you said it's not on merit. You know how many musicians in the underground scene and the, in the bar scene and, and otherwise that I've seen that there, there, there's no excuse why these people are not tour in the world being heard by everybody they're talented enough they're strong enough they've got a strong enough fan following in the localization but because whatever music style they're playing is not what's popular or on the radio today they'll never be discovered perfect example now i, I promised you that i was going to make a deal with you oh okay. you remember you remember i was going to make a deal with you on air i'm going to make that deal right now i will absolutely review your album not just listen to it i will review your album in turn I'm going to sing you my last band, the, the demo of my last band, which is fucking 12 years ago now, but it's the only thing that's, that's completely completed, right? Dude, I feel a bond with you. You got it. I love this deal. Send away. I can't I wait to listen. And, uh, and I, will, I will review it for you via if if email. I appreciate it. I appreciate it because I don't want, I don't want like uh, I don't want like, you know, you to send it to somebody important and try to get a record deal or something. No, it's, a, it's an old ass demo. I don't have such power. I don't like record labels. <laughs> you know, so all, I don't deal with them, but I would love for you to listen to it. Not only to hear what I could do, but going back to what I was saying before is the fact that like my lead guitarist in that band and in, in this argument, I've been, I've been, I'm 43 years old. I've been a musician since I was 13. I've played in garage band after garage band after garage band. I've played in, you know, touring bands. I have never played with a better guitarist in my life. There is no excuse why this lead guitarist that you will hear in my last band, Disillusion Purity, there's no reason why this man is not living the high life as a highly paid musician with a record deal and a tour. How about I'll make a deal with you? All right. If you guys have the capacity to um, record out there and stuff, um, we can work together on some stuff. If I'm I like what you do. I'm down with That's, that. I'm totally, like for me, like I said, since I, you know, adopted the plant medicine path, I've been so prolific. And I mean, I was always really prolific, but I mean, it's like 900 of the greatest ideas I've ever had sitting in my phone on my iCloud. And um, I just can't get, out, get them out of me fast enough. So I've just been trying to connect with as many people because this whole album, Come With Me If You Want to Live, uh, I did with my buddy Michael Naranjo and um, three songs that I did uh, with my buddy uh, Freddie Scott out in Los Angeles um, a little while ago, which kind of inspired what I wanted to do for the album. So I included those. But uh, me and Michael, we uh, co-wrote and uh, produced the whole thing just via the internet. He and I are best friends, but we have never met in person. Uh, we got a whole plan for a show to like journey to Machu Picchu and uh, with me and his buddy, John Dillinger, who's become a friend of mine, you know, uh, Dillinger's black, uh, Naranjo's brown and I'm white. And uh, Michael's just like, it's just a culture clash. And, and people will appreciate it. And, we'll go to other countries and we'll explore the culture and we'll make music. And I'm like, I'm down. Sounds good. As long as I can sit with the shamans and do ayahuasca. 
So. You, know, you know, what's funny is uh, I, I hate to bring this back full circle, but uh, I tried to resurrect dissolution purity out here in Philadelphia a couple of years ago. And uh, my basis at the time was a basis I played in previous bands before uh, bands called bitch slap and uh, defenestrate and all that. I've known the guy forever. And I, I use the term guy loosely because he, she, I let me, let me be politically correct. She has recently become come out of the closet as a transgender and one of the arguments with the disillusion purity and her joining the band is like well we got a hook you got a transgender chick now i said dude twisted sister's been doing that since the 70s and 80s <laughs> david bowie's been doing it even longer i mean there's there's precedence but I certainly certainly I not break. a bad hook i used to daydream about losing an eye in some sort of cool way and then being the guy with the patch when I would watch movies, I really liked the guy with the patch. I thought he looked badass. Even though when I thought about it practically, I was like, that must really suck, though. <laughs> but here's, here's, here's the questions I want to get into. I know you've got a passion for music. Growing up growing up in the household that you did, and, of course, the way you've been talking for the past, uh, I, I, I don't even know how long we've been going right now. Um, I again, I don't care. <laughs> you know, um, that, that there is a passion for music. But, I mean, you have a whole IMDb of other things you have done as well. I mean, comic book writer, uh, voiceover actor, TV and radio host, as well as rock musician. How did you get involved in so many different things? Like, why was it searching for the passion or was just these all passions together? No, I, it's so funny. The story of, of me uh, getting a fire lit under my ass for music, but also kind of like scorning my father a little bit. I mean... He didn't know, but I, but you know, he always told me about this list that he had of like the people who doubted him. And in the moment I asked him about music, my aunt, I was singing some songs to her and she was like, Jesse, that's so beautiful. She's like, like, and, and you know, like, why the hell isn't your dad like supporting you or pushing you to do music? And so I asked him and he told me it was because I had no passion and it really pissed me off. I now know that he, what he meant to say was, I see that you're very passionate about comics. I see that you're very passionate about writing. I see that you're very passionate about uh, football, but I don't really see a great passion for music. Right. And comparatively, that was true, but I was just kind of insecure. So I was really looking for validation um, and I was like trying to get it from him. But I realize now that he was mortified by my ability to like walk around and sing a cappella all the time. Cause I just love to sing. And my dad's actually, now that I've produced him a few times, um, I've realized that he's, he's a little shy. And uh, so it, it was like mortifying for me to be like learning to find my pitch sometimes or whatever it might be, you know, demonstrating my voice to people just singing by myself like he didn't know how to do that he didn't know how to process that information so <laughs> i think he didn't know how to validate it either because he was like mortified by my behavior essentially but um but for me when he said i had no passion i was like Arr! and i jumped into a really passionate pursuit with music which ended tragically two years later when my drummer crystalline died and that really kind of derailed oh. my music career for a minute um and you know, in big ways. I mean, really subtly for a long time, uh, just because it, me and Chris were on a real long road trip and he dropped me off right before he, he died. And, uh, and my guitar player was behind him in the car and I had been asleep for like a half an hour. And you know, like when you're asleep 
for a little while and like somebody wakes you up just as like you're starting to get to this place and you're like in this really susceptible realm you don't talk about yeah yeah that's when i answered my phone and i you know got this blood curling call from my guitar player omar that um chris had been in an accident i mean he hit the only tree in the middle of the road for freaking miles in either direction i mean it was ridiculously serendipitous um and um and he um he was dead instantly but omar didn't know that and i'd only find it out later and then my uh you know my wife uh, or who was going to be my wife i was about to you know ask her to be my be my uh you know fiance or whatever um she got hurt like a day uh the the very next day because she was exhausted from the thing and i got another phone call uh very similarly you know just the same energy and it was just the worst week of my life so um so that just crushed me uh, in so many different ways and really stopped me from going on the road doing what i wanted to do um being being the guy that I always planned to be. And it really, I didn't know what to do. And I almost quit music um, at a certain point. I was doing great in voiceover, which, um, you know, voiceover just came along because um, I started out hosting. Uh, my dad's agent, David Katz, met me at a party and he just started to say, started to, you know, think and he went, I could get Jesse, you know, work in hosting. And I was like, well, that'd be great. I'd love to make some money. And I was going to school for broadcasting at CW Post do the radio show and I, I used to be the any editor for the newspaper i do an eight page pull out every week um and um and then i did some stuff you know like movie reviews on the the television station or whatever nice. um and you know those were just things i loved you know I, I i had a passion for the arts and i loved to talk about them so that kind of brought me to being a host um and uh and i i'm a very good reader and i'm also very natural and um like people and like to be sociable and enjoy telling a story and enjoy listening to a good one, watching a good one. And so it just kind of brought me into, into that world in a big way. And once I had done hosting for a lot of different companies that had kind of been seen by like all the different casts and directors in town. And I knew if like something came up that was right for me, I would have gotten a call because I had long hair at the time. I was a rock and roll guy. And then I went to my agent. I was like, Hey, look, you know, I'm reading the teleprompter all the time. I'm really good at being natural and stuff. Uh, and uh, there's a great, saying of you know get me d snyder get me a young d snyder uh you know get me a d snyder <laughs> you know and then uh, you know i forget what all the other ones were but i was like can i can i be the young d snyder because because I, I we sounded uh similar and he has a great um cadence you know he really taught himself to speak very well it's funny if you go back and listen to him on letterman back in the day he sounds like a long island rocky balboa it's hysterical <laughs> i mean it's really funny compared to how he speaks now he's just right. so like because he's a voiceover guy and uh, my dad was barely doing it you know he would just do the occasional thing so but i ended up getting into it in a big way immediately booked pizza hut and GameStop and cheetos i was the voice of those companies for many years uh nice. what more taste get america's favorite pizza pizza hut now online oh my god uh, wait a minute hold hold up hold up yeah hold yeah up. no i used to work for GameStop. and the the, the, the video i used to work top. for GameStop. the videos over top that were playing in the background that, that was, was your you, fucking man. voice <laughs> yeah Pre-order Madden, get good sooner. 
GameStop, <laughs> power to the players. And they're still doing a bad impression of me, I think. If they're still, if they're still doing my voice, they should be paying me to do the voice. I Holy this is shit. Okay. Not cool. okay. But I used to work at GameStop too. I worked at, if, you, if you've been there, if, if it was during the right years, you might remember when they owned a, a store that was to the stockholders called Planet X. I don't remember Planet X, but this will tell you how far back I go. Before GameStop, it was EB Games and Funko Land. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, I, you you might have you, you just maybe not been high enough on the ladder to know about this information at the time, right. um, which was like, to their stockholders, they eventually phased us out. And then apparently they tried to bring the store back for a minute. But we were a comic book store that I guess they bought. Um, we were a really dope comic book shop in a mall. Okay. And I love comics and that really kind of gets me to the you know to the other uh, you know to the other subject of my other passion was comic books um i always really loved comic books i'm a huge fan of the savage dragon that was the main book that i read for ages and then i became a real big deadpool fan because of joe kelly and ed mcginnis and their initial run on the title which is the thing that everybody who's like me we're the reason why you guys have a deadpool movie because that book was on the verge of cancellation all the time but we loved that character and we even read it through runs that we didn't particularly care for, but there were some great ones. Christopher Priest was great. Um, and, um, and there were some, some, some really great moments in there. And uh, my first work as a professional comic book writer was a Deadpool story for, um, for uh, Marvel Comics Presents, which is actually, it didn't come out for years, which was funny uh, because I, uh, the reason why I got hired to do the D Snyder Strangeland um, comic book that, only one issue came out of. Um, but uh, we're actually working on getting out some more of those issues. Uh, people have been asking about them, and I just want to make them available because I wrote it so long ago, and there's some great D. Snyder, Captain Howdy dialogue that I wrote, and I just want people to read it. Terrible torture scenes. It's dark as F. <laughs> uh, but... Um, but yeah, comic books were my passion and I just, I love the mythology and I just wanted to get in there and honor the, the foundations and improve upon it. Like I had seen all of my favorite creators do, you know, the best creators, they come in there, they honor the past and they improve upon it and they add to it and they leave things that other people can play with and more toys in the toy box, as you would say. And uh, I just wanted to be one of the toy makers putting in the cool things. And, you know, I, I had this amazing blade pitch that, very nearly came to fruition. It was called Blade and the Day Stalkers. And there was a quote on the first issue cover that said, what kind of idiots stalk vampires at night? <laughs> and, it, you know, for me, it was just, we're turning this box upside down and we are going to really, vampires in the Marvel Universe, science fiction style, go. Because that was the best thing that we got from the Blade films was that they played up the science fiction angle. Right. And there's so many cool things to do with that, with Spider-Man and werewolf blood and like, you know, just playing with the, you know, these things as a disease on some level. So I like was all about that. And that was like one of my first soul crushing moments. It took a year to get through Marvel. And when it finally got there, so much time had taken place that it was no longer the right time for it. They were already had a thing where Blade was coming up in the X-Men. And, um, and I was just so heartbroken because I'd spent so long pitching and, um, you know, and this was the journey that I took, you know, and then I went over to DC, they brought me in to do, uh, to create for them a vampire romance where these vampires escape from hell, because there was an event that had just happened, I forget which one it was, where they showed that there were vampires in hell. And um, I, I initially pitched something really, really dope, and then they kept it kept shrinking it down and making it smaller, which is something they always do with my stuff. You know, I like the first like 
batch of Hulk pitches that I pitched to Marvel for my Hulk one shot, which is, is great and has some memorable moments in it. I'm really proud of it for what it is. But, you know, my first batch were awesome. You know, like I, I first I had I, I had the Hulk shows up at the Baxter building to um, to get Reed Richards to cure him of that of banner. Okay, <laughs> and, and and he knocks Thing down to the to, to the main floor, and by the time Thing gets back up on the elevator, he's like, "Where is he?" Hulk's gone, but there's a Doombot watching, and Doctor <laughs> Doom's like, "Yes, yes, we will cure you of Banner," <laughs> and 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 things like that. Like, and I had this one great one called Operation Battle Royale, where Hulk's in the desert, and uh, and he's like he's hiding out trying to cure himself of being the Hulk, and they uh, Ross fights out where he is and they bring in basically they take all the biggest guys out of prison all the big superheroes the wrecking crew and the juggernaut and then they get the thing and they get colossus and they just all the biggest dudes and they just were bringing them in from every direction to come and get the hulk and they've got these adamantium restraints they're gonna put on them and take them down and my editor's like we could never explain why nobody ever heard this incredible story <laughs> and i was just like <laughs> Well, that's not a good excuse. I'm like, this is this is good stuff. Let me write it. <laughs> so fun. I mean, that was like my action figure wet dream. I've always been a huge action figure guy. To me, the Renaissance has been going on in this country and abroad for an age now and nobody appreciates it yeah man because it's all toys but like i'm friends with the four horsemen four horsemen studios who were the original sculptors or some of the original sculptors at uh, mcfarland toys okay and oh, i love those guys there's some some of my my uh, my best buddies in the the industry we got to do the uh mythic legion uh, mythic legion comic book for their action figure line of fantasy figures which if you haven't seen them and you like action figures go find them you know it's like they're just building a following with people who really care about toys but type in four horsemen studios mythic legions oh so great and the comic book that we did was awesome we got greg weissman the creator of gargoyles and uh you know producer of clone wars to come and uh write the write the story for us and set up you know some mythology stuff and uh marco Chichetto to do the art who just got uh he's marvel exclusive now i think he's been doing the morbius series for them okay um and uh, it was just so great i was so happy to work with them and do some toys with them and the funny thing was we were about to produce again like another career but i mean this is these are my passions um a action figure line called bag of ninjas and they would have been so amazing but then the guys at the foosh beat us to the punch and they put out their ninjas before i got a chance and uh and i know the foosh guys are disappointed because we talked to them me and my buddy aaron at a convention and we were like dude you missed out on a bunch of crazy four horsemen sculpted ninja masters we were doing like you would have been so happy with the, what we were making and like all i have to show for it are like some of these basic designs that four horsemen studios did for us like to like to begin the idea of what we might do and uh, we never got to do it we we're gonna do these rad old school commercials where we're like bag of ninjas bag of ninjas do you remember bag of ninjas me either <laughs> order now and get the classic bag of ninjas <laughs> that was a fun one i'm really sad we didn't do it oh man you could have, you could have had a, you could have had them in a gumball machine like the, like, yeah. like the little muscle figures if you're yeah remember. exactly you know what exactly. i mean kid bugging for like you know twenty dollars to get to get it out of the machine or whatever yeah and then i was just gonna be like and if you want a four horsemen ninja master 
get us 60 grand. If you want a, another one, get us another 100. Yeah. <laughs> Rise it to the top on the four horsemen's back. See, see now I got um, to get you out to Philly because, like, all I'm sitting here thinking about. Oh, I'm out there all the time. With, 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 your, with, with, your, with your comic book run and everything else, I've got a buddy who runs a comic book shop. He's one of the oldest comic book shops in Philly right now. Actually, I wonder if I've met him before. Sometimes uh, I do uh, after parties at some of the conventions where they're in town, and I've been to the Philly convention a few times. Uh, like his, name, his name is Dave Schwartz. He owns Comic Collections. It's, uh, comic Collections. Yeah, see, I might, I, might, I might have been down there before. I might have got to meet him. But well, I would love to. I, I'm actually like a, my, one of my best buddies who I work on like sort of film and media projects with, uh, Stacey Toy. She she is in Scranton, so I'm always down there visiting her, and I got a friend of mine, Angelo, who's in the Poconos, so I always have a reason to go say hello and uh, do some work and stuff. There you go. We'll, we'll, we'll hang out. We'll get a, we'll get a lager and a, and a cheesesteak, and we'll go visit comic book shops and <laughs> other crazy shit. This sounds good to me. I mean, <laughs> is this a podcast? Do I feel like, I feel like we've done a podcast, right? Yeah, you we've know? done a podcast. What, what, why do I do everything? Because I love everything. Um, <laughs> But, I, you know, I've kept doing voiceovers because I love voiceovers. Um, you know, uh, I like being able to speak to people. I'm the voice of uh, Food Paradise. I'm very proud to say uh, my 175th episode of Food Paradise being the voice of, um, you know, of making people enjoy food and, uh, and hopefully making them laugh and chuckle at the terrible jokes that I try to deliver with the proper modicum of, I know this is a terrible joke, but. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, so narrating is really cool. I'm really trying to get into uh, doing more documentary style stuff, things where people learn. I've done some stuff for Smithsonian Channel, and I enjoyed that. And, uh, you know, doing the commercials, it pays the bills. And, um, you know, uh, I don't mind uh, using my voice to uh, help some people if they're willing to uh, compensate me handsomely. And they do. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'm at peace with that. And I just, I love creating. You know, the, I'm working right now with my friend Michael Zinn, who you met before we started our thing. Right. Um, you know, on uh, a magazine, uh, which was inspired by the fact that he's like the greatest photographer I've ever seen. And, um, and I just love his work. And I wanted to do a magazine about his work because I produced this comic book music project, Blacklight District, um, which was comic books and music, but it's an anthology. There's six different songs and there's six different, you know, artists and creative teams creating, you know, a cohesive thing throughout. And I was like, you know, I'll use my publishing company, you know, that's, that's, you know, has done some, some, Oh, I guess I am a publishing company. I shouldn't be so down on myself. I did Mythic Legions. I did Blacklight District and I produced a crap load of King of Kings that I haven't been able to put out yet. But um, I was ready to do a magazine of his stuff. And then he was just like, I'd love to even more like do something that featured a lot of people. And, you know, I have like a lot of people I'd like to feature. And then we started thinking about it and I was just like, you know what? I've been trying to get heavy metal to let me do a bunch of things for them. And I've done like a little bit. I did some stuff for their first issue of Softwood, but um, you know, other things didn't come through or whatever. They, you know, there were not a lot particular fire uh, there at the moment. And um, I was just like, you know, screw it. I, I'm sitting on all this material. I'm just going to put it out through an anthology and uh, invite friends to participate as well. And uh, you know, and, and then as I thought about it, I realized, I'm, you know, I've been a journalist my whole life and I really love entertainment and there's so much entertainment that people aren't experiencing, aren't seeing. And, uh, you know, I want people to be able to find the great up and coming bands and the great uh, independent movies. There's so many uh, bits of media being made. It's hard to go through them all, but some people got their ear to the grindstone or their eye and they're listening and hearing. And, you know, uh, me and my friend, Aaron, we know a lot about underground comic books and underground, um, you know, action figure stuff. And, and we want to, you know, expose people to that. And then even more than that, uh, I feel like when I was 16, 
I wish I had a magazine that was about music a little bit and it was about comic books a little bit and it was about movies a little bit and it was all the things that I loved and, and was of interest to me and spoke about doing it and how to do it from a lang in a language that I could understand and was directing me towards other things that I could watch and hear to enrich my soul and, um, and also gave me art at a really high level, whether it was comic books or poetry or photo spreads or whatever it may be, but things that were really cool, something that wasn't sexist and wasn't skewed towards boys or girls, but was just right up the middle for everybody who wants to think, everybody who right. wants to learn because they care about this stuff. And, you know, I just saw how much everybody who loves it cares about the process when I saw the DVD uh, special editions, you know, wave that went on in the 2000s or, you know, whatever. You know, as I was just like, wow, you know, people love the process as much as I do. And I know that there's an audience for that. And I really want to try to create a magazine. Um, and we're, I shouldn't say that. It's just, we're like halfway through creating a magazine right now. Uh, but I want to make this magazine something that you're going to twist up and put in your pocket because it's got information that's of value to you. And, uh, and just be a source of infinite creativity and um, inspiration for people who want to do uh, art at a very high level because the artist of the future is going to be a multimedia man. They got to know a little bit of everything and a little bit of the business. And I'll get some, you know, some the right articles about that as well. But, uh, you know, give people the tools that they need to do this well and feel confident about doing it because it's just, it's never been easier to do. And, you know, the, the power is in our hands through technology and uh, everybody can do it. Everybody can, can contribute in whatever way they feel they want to. And I just want to help them be better at it so that I get to enjoy more great art because I love great art yeah. I think you, I think you're hitting a nerve on that I really do because I think I, th I was just sitting there thinking about it it's like it's kind of a lost art back back in the day when when I was you know searching out bands and stuff you know the rise of CDs and cassettes and stuff like that like you you had all these magazines you had hit parader Kerrang circus none of them exist anymore you know, or Wizard Magazine. That's what I grew up reading on uh, the comic book side of things. I loved Wizard Magazine. I tried to go in there and save their reputation for a little while, but the let's just say it wasn't in alignment with us. And that that was that was a that was, a Dragon Magazine is another one. You know, uh, yeah. for the D and D fans. You know, mm -hmm. and I mean, like they were sources of information for a lot of people. I know we had the internet now and that's kind of what killed it. But I think, I think the lost nostalgia of picking up a magazine, like you said, rolling it up in your pocket, you could be doing something halfway down the line, having a conversation with somebody in the woods, you know, drinking a beer. And it's like, wait, I just read about that. And you had it the power at your hands. I, I, I think that is a lost. I think that's a niche that, that definitely would hit. But Where has it all gone? It's yeah. And I really like none of these websites. It went match to up to the experience of a good magazine. Yeah. It went to this. What went to this? Everything. Everything went to this. Everything went. Oh to yeah. Your yeah. Pocket. Yeah. It's 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 not. It's you know a good magazine establishes rapport with their readership. Uh, so much of the success of Marvel Comics was Stan Lee creating an incredible rapport with his um, readership, uh, the Merry Mar Marvel Marching Society, and that's really what I want to do too. I, I just want to have fun and be um, honest and earnest, and uh, you know, a wink to the the people on the inside who are paying attention to what we're doing. And uh, you know, like the back of the magazine, I want it to be an adult highlight magazine. I gave. <laughs> 
art director, Scarecrow Oven. Scarecrow Oven, if you're on Instagram, go look up Scarecrow Oven. He's the coolest artist. And he was my first pick for our art director for the magazine. He's going to be doing our covers and, you know, providing extra material. And I gave him the guidance of, I want like Cthulhu attacking a park with hidden images in it for people to find. <laughs> you know, like, like in the back of the Highlights magazine. So, we're, you know, we're going to make something that's fun that's fun for people that has a sense of humor you know i have all of these ideas for all of these different stories that i wanted to do as mini series or a series things that i pitched to marvel or dc and i'm just laying them all out as just great little ideas like like just super just here you go five pages of glory and uh, we got steve kurth in the first issue uh, working with me on this project uh, called uh, citizen d which my brother cody actually based one of his short films on all that remains but we finally finished the book we only did a couple pinup pieces and we pitched it to image and then marvel uh signed him exclusively and we couldn't do it so he finally was available to do uh, a few pages and we did five pages real quick and oh my god i'm so proud of it, it came out so good it's so beautiful Beautiful. So we, we got a, a great magazine. Uh, you know, Michael, I'm just going to be like picking for days through all of his galleries and filling it up with pictures of gorgeous women and uh, doing interesting stuff and trying to be a, you know, a modern day heavy metal, you know, maybe a little bit more in touch with the culture. Well, I got to, I got to, we got to get back into the, the, the album here. But before we do, I, I had an image. This is the way my mind works. You were talking about the adult highlights, you know, mm -hmm. and you got Cthulhu like destroying a village or something. You got like, like you said, you find a little like the the where in the world is Carmen San Diego or where's Waldo findings in, in the picture. But then all of a sudden I had like Mad Magazine pop in my head where after you do the, the, the hide and seek and you color in the Cthulhu, you fold it up and it's, you know, fold it up and it's like a fucking clown holding a daisy. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, you know, like as we as we get going and I can like have something in my hand and have a printer to talk to. I really would like to have some fun because I love that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, and one of the main things that I want to do is have a poster in every issue, have a centerfold poster of the cover without any bullshit words on it. So you can hang it in your room because Blacklight District, the whole idea of that is Blacklight District was my happy place. It was the place where I had all lit up the way I wanted it with all my posters of all my favorite musicians and my favorite comic book characters and just the things that lit me up and made me feel creative and made me inspired and that that was my happy place and that was where I would write songs and create and um, Blacklight District Magazine I wanted to be the place that's a happy place for everybody we're just where we got all that stuff that we love in one place and you know we're amongst friends absolutely well you got a subscriber here I'll, I'll subscribe <laughs> <laughs> but uh, your new album you, you just dropped a new album you want to talk you want to talk about this what was the inspiration behind this album first off tell you know tell us a little bit about it what, what what's going on with the with this one well it's crazy um, you know it's interesting you know I, I like to be somebody who doesn't have anything he won't talk about so uh, and I realized that there's like something about really my journey here with the album that was like something I didn't want to talk about in like my heart. But um, no, I'm going to talk about it. I was trying to make a, basically I felt guilty about being a solo artist. I went behind the scenes for a while and I was writing a lot of pop rock music you know, it was essentially just pop with a real rock and edge uh, placements for things uh, and some, you know, cool ballads and some cool rock songs and stuff. And um, I, but I'm, 
I'm a musician, I, I'm a musician who loves to play live and appreciates playing live and believe that I really have something to offer a live audience. Right. And, um, you know, and I, uh, you know, for, of the people who got to see me during Baptized by Fire, I mean, it's incredible how many years so many people have followed me. Uh, you know, even my friend, you know, Michael Zinn, who, you know, remembers, you know, pe people remember like things I said and stuff on stage 15 <laughs> years ago from my like kind of what I always thought was a garage band. And, you know, Juggernaut, you know, which was our, one of the songs that we were known for, which was the first song that I wrote, you know, coming in and kind of built the whole band on. It's been used for the Movie Crip podcast uh, with Adam Green and Joe Lynch and been used for Toyota and Fox Sports Moment of the Week and uh, a whole bunch of places. So, you know, it, it has lived on and proven itself in whatever ways. And I was just giving it all I got, like I was coming from behind and starving like you wouldn't believe, like just everything on the line and, and pushing it. But I was also making a lot of the wrong decisions because my best friend died and I was heartbroken. Right. And I, I like didn't want to succeed uh, because it felt, um, felt like I was, I was dishonoring him or something. And um, I went this backdoor route because it kind of felt safer and I was having some success there. But when I got on my spiritual journey, um, I really began to come to peace with Chris. And I mean, you know, I should really tell this story too. And, you know, this is like something that sounds kind of out there, but this happened to me. And, um, you know, for anybody listening, uh, you know, who can appreciate this, you know, I believe this happened exactly like this. This is, was my experience. I began meditating and uh, it was very difficult for me at first. I'm like super ADHD and oof, it was, it was hard. Um, I literally yelled at my ex-wife when I came out of the, the meditation. I was like, you said things to me that fucked up that meditation. Um, and, uh, wow. and uh, you know, like, like it made me angry to meditate. And, but I eventually got into a pattern and breathing and a lot of different things. Uh, uh, Deepak Chopra, who, uh, you know, I, I don't adore, but I really do adore him for a couple of his uh, meditation tapes that he put out that were very simple guided meditations for beginners that were great. And it was one on abundance in particular that I loved. And it really helped me chillax a bit in my body. And once I became good at it, I started meditating. Um, I started meditating really deeply. Um, and um, somewhere along the way, I started basically feeling like I was having communications from my grandmother. Um, very, very small and very subtle, but you know, I was taking it with a grain of salt, but it, it all seemed very consistent and not me when I would have these, these sort of moments, these strange moments where I was sensing something. And like I said, you know, so much of my path was, believing that there was a field, you know, understanding that there's a field around us and we connect with each other when we speak, even like through a phone, because the universe is not quite the way we seem, uh, the way it seems, you know, we can still get energy from each other, just like the animals do when you see the bees going together or whatever else. Right. And, um, you know, so from that place of sensitivity, um, this like communication began coming to me, but it was very subtle and I was an atheist. You know, and I was like opening myself up to the fact that I didn't really know everything, that there was just, you could never know everything. There was so much, but I was just very resistant to the idea of this communication. But then one day I decided that I was going to meditate until I had like an out-of-body experience sort of thing. 
because I'd read a lot about it. I'd read a lot about monks and different people meditating and sort of what was possible once you really sat there. And I thought that if I just committed to staying there as long as possible, now not as long as possible, but as long as it took. Right. If I would be willing to commit to that, and I'm usually pretty good about like making a commitment to something and then sticking with it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm just going to commit that I'm just laying there until something happens and that this should put my mind at rest because my mind can just fucking give up. I'm going to sit here forever. And it didn't actually take that long. I mean, it could have been two and a half hours. It could have been an hour and a half. I don't know exactly. I mean, I know what time it was like when I looked later and I saw that time had passed, but um, you know, I got lost into a deep meditation and, um, and, I felt all of a sudden, and this had never happened to me before, nothing like this. I felt that I heard this quiet conversation that was going on beside me, just like five feet over to the right. And I sensed that my best friend, Chris, my drummer, was in the middle of it. And as I got into meditation and also um, using psilocybin to cure my depression, um, I, I started writing all these incredible songs. I mean, like I started sort of feeling ashamed sometimes when they would come to me because I didn't feel like I had earned them, you know, cause I used to have this mistaken impression that I had to earn everything <laughs> and I wouldn't be at peace with it as like, just like magic happened. And when he was there, I, like kind of started crying and I just went, Chris, I'm writing the most incredible songs. I wish you were here making music with me. And before I could finish the thought, I felt that he was just upon me and he was screaming in my face. And he said, I am here making music with you. And I've never felt anything more strongly in my life. And it changed my whole perspective on everything. And really just woke me up to possibility and allowed me to forgive myself for continuing to make music even though he wasn't here because he said he was. And maybe all of the great music that seems to just be coming to me for free, for nothing, no work at all, was coming from him, was coming from my friend, still writing songs with me, working with me. And I was just so grateful that I started to really think about what I wanted to do. And at first, and this is the thing I didn't really want to talk about, I tried to start a band out in, um, in Los Angeles because that's where I was. And, you know, I, I'm a band guy. I like to have friends to make music with, you know, people that I can collaborate with and grow with. And that meant something to me. And I didn't feel like I was in the right place financially or whatever it was to 
build a band like that at the time, but I just was like in this place where I was refusing to believe that I was just like, I got to build, I got to make a band. I got to do it the way that I want to do it. But also I'd been promoted so long as Jesse Blaze, it became the idea that I was going to be Jesse Blaze and something. Right. So um, I came up with this idea for Jesse Blaze and the Bandoliers because, you know, I was named after Jesse James and I really kind of have a country vibe a little bit to how I deliver some of my stuff because I like to tell stories and I love the blues and uh, that's all the country singers are doing. And also I like to be a character. So a lot of times my delivery sometimes comes across a little dramatic, um, you know, like a country song might. And, um, you know, but I love it. It's just like, you know, more uh, taste for the, the soup. But, um, you know, I put this band together and a whole bunch of things happened. Basically, I had uh, trouble with the, my drummer who um, broke our contract when he wouldn't let me bring in my best friend and, um, and uh, guitar player and writer of the whole album, Michael Naranjo, to play guitar on it. He was willing to bring in him, the producer, my friend Michael Naranjo, who was willing to bring him in to produce the record but he wasn't willing to let him play on the record. He wanted to get like Slash or something. And I was just like, no, no. This is the person that I want to play on the record. He's the one I wrote the songs with. He's the one that I love and I believe has energy and emotion in these songs. You wanna bring in some stilted guy who has no relationship with the music to play the music? No, screw off, man. Like, I want my music to have soul, and Michael Naranjo has soul. No, we're not doing that. And um, he broke the contract because I was supposed to have creative control no matter what. He was the financial guy. I was the creative guy. And I was like, all right, well, that's it. And also, it was really a big deal because I was – my kids were in Long Island, and, um, you know, because my, my ex-wife's family is on Long Island. And I hadn't seen them and because I was dealing with all these things, trying to get some of these things going. And it was just sort of like, okay, like – I'm just moving back to Long Island and I'm going to figure it out from there. Cause I love New York. I don't have a problem with being there at all. I never want to move to Los Angeles anyway. This place is nice, but I'm cool. I'm heading home. I need to be with my kids and, um, and I'll figure out what I'm going to do. So, you know, from there came me and Michael Naranjo finishing my first solo record and um, you know, making it, you know, making it me, you know, honoring the fact that I was a solo artist and that I had something to say. And that's really why my name's on it is because it's my words. You know, Naranjo is backing me up and he believes everything that I'm saying, but it's, it's really about what I'm saying. Right. And, uh, you know, this album is about my spiritual journey, uh, which really came, you know, began with uh, this song Promised Land that I wrote with my buddy Freddie Scott in Los Angeles, um, which sort of magically became a hit on uh, Monday Night Football um, within like less than a month of like us writing it. Uh, and, uh, you know, millions of people got to hear it, but we didn't have a music video or anything to capitalize on it at the time. This was just one of many songs that were in my writing catalog as a person who was writing music for behind the scenes. Right. And um, so, you know, that song really inspired me because it was, it had some blues and some soul about it. And, um, and I got to use my dynamic range and sing really high and sing really low. And that was the beginning of me sort of processing what I was going to do, which was make music that 
just had a lot of layers to it. And it wasn't really one thing. It was, uh, you know, an amalgamation of things like the magazine that I want to make. You know, it was just all the best of all the worlds. You know, whatever I saw that I thought was great, I was just like, let's steal that. Let's use that. And certainly it's got some authority and it comes from a place of anger and frustration with this bizarre world that we're living in, definitely. Right. But really it's about you know, the Klingon's journey to enlightenment. Uh, you know, the, the, the football player who uh, never met an SUV he couldn't demolish with his body and walk away from it like nothing ever happened. Um, and how he realized the error of his ways and let go of all this damage that he did to himself and healed himself and, and got calm and got relaxed and got a proper attitude and a balanced perspective, you know, on all the craziness going on in the world and learn to love the Republicans as much as he loves the Democrats and everybody all over the world because we're all one and, uh, you know, we're in this together and we got uh, a planet to save and we need to just stay calm until we get on the same page because it can all work out. It's just when we keep thinking that it can't, that it doesn't. Well, you know what? You know, I know, I know you kind of didn't want to talk about uh, the creative process of the album. And I'm sorry I put you in that position, but I'm going to, I'm going to tell you something. No, I'm glad we did. I uh, had to go over it. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you something. You inspired me and hopefully you inspired uh, people listening to this podcast, but you inspired me because uh, I have been toying with a solo album and like you, I never wanted to do like, you know, Christopher Stolle, you know what I mean? Because I because feel like such a jerk off, man. Yeah. I really do. I hate it. I'm Jesse Blaze. Yeah. 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 I, I never wanted to do it. I, I, and I used to argue about it. Even the band that I, that I made you promise to listen to, we were having such a trouble problem coming up with a band name. There was talks about just making it Christopher Stolle's band. And I'm like, no, no. Cause I don't, I always felt like it's a team effort, not me. I don't want the 50 foot fucking uh, walkway ramp. You know what I mean? in the crowd it's not me it's and you guys it's all of us together so but because of the fact like you said it's like i didn't want the hassle and the aggravation of wanting to put together another band and, and all especially with being older have kids and, and everything i do podcasting because i can't really afford to go out and do anything else <laughs> but uh you know and i i felt like i had things to say so i started working on an album called that i titled forgotten and uh, Forgotten was uh, simply because of the fact it's been 12 years since I've done music. It's been, you know, uh, a about as long since I've done wrestling. Nobody knows who the hell Christopher Stolle is, you know what I mean? Or, or Matt Wilde as I was in wrestling. Nobody knows who I am anymore. So I've been forgotten. And that's kind of the, the, the subject themes I did. But I, I've, and I went industrial because I'm doing it all myself. I'm doing all the music and everything else myself. And it's not ready. I'm not proud of it. There, there, I've got about six songs completed out of it. You know? I love industrial, man. I bet I'll love this. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's rough, and you know, I've always wanted to to have an industrial band. That was one of my main things. You know, like I kind of went soul over time, but forever, I just wanted to write and industrial, you know, have an industrial band. Actually, Juggernaut, which is like one of the songs that I'm known for, you know, that was originally meant to be more to the feel of Dope Hat. You know, that was like a... Right. You can't slow me down, I'm unstoppable. Can't cover me up. You know, and I just had this cool cycling 
thing, but and I really wanted an organ player. One day, one day I'm going to have a boss-ass organ player on the stage. I love the organ, dude. Well, I, I, one, of the songs, one of the songs I was actually working on, um, you know, for, for the album was called After All This Time. And quite honestly, even in my own ears, it sounded like, uh, uh, sounded like Nine Inch Nails being bastardly raped by Pink Floyd. So very Nine Inch Nails meets psychedelic, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, and to my ears, you know, but that's one of the ones I'm more proud of. But I mean, what I meant by in- inspiration was not to promote my own album. We're here to talk about yours. But what inspired me is that I was losing faith in this album. I really was. And I was especially losing faith in the fact of like titling it Christopher Stolly Forgotten. Yeah. But what you said and, and, and what it meant to you, this process to get to get to your album, has kind of reinforced me to say, you know what, I got to let go of the ego and just, if I feel like I got something to say, just say it. Yeah. Own the fact that you got something to say, you know? Oh, so you're Jesse Blaze? Yeah, I am. I'm Jesse Blaze. You know, whatever, you know, that's, that's who you are. That's who you're here to be. Can I, can I recommend, I think Stolly's band sounds really cool. (laughs) Well, Stolly's band. At 43 years old and now 230 pounds, I'm pretty sure nobody wants to see my old fat ass up on stage anymore. Stolly's Band sounds, sounds dope, man. I, I think you lose the Christopher and just go Stolly's Band. Stolly's Band. Stolly's Band. <laughs> just says Stolly's Band. It sounds good. You know why? You know why it's so great? Because Stolly sounds like a nickname. So it sounds like your band has dubbed you Stolly. You're Stolly and that's your band. So it doesn't come across quite so egoically. Right. Well, that's not bad. That's not terrible. I'll, I'll Christopher Stolly. It's like, do we really need your whole name? <laughs> Christopher Michael Stolly. There we go. I'll throw the whole thing. Yes. But Stolly's band sounds like I'm a dude with something to say, and I got support of my band. Even though there is no band. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I am. You know, that's all right. The, the band that I love, uh, uh, what is it? Die Antwoord. You know, DJ High Tech. I'm pretty sure he's just the record player or the, you know, <laughs> the, the program system they use. So, Don't DJ High Tech think you can fuck with something like this. So I, I got to say for myself here, thank you so much. And I, like I said, hopefully listeners will catch, uh, get the inspiration from them too. Guys, you can so. have a voice, you know, and there's no shame in being proud of what you bring out to you. And I think, I think that's exactly what, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, that's exactly where you were going with that, with, with the, the writing process of this album, is it's, it's okay for you to be proud of what you're working on and put your name on it. And, and you know, that, that's what I took from it anyway. There's a line, there's a song called Number 149, and I really hated it because – I wanted to redo the vocals and uh, Michael kept reproducing it over and over again. Cause he basically thought I was saying I didn't like the production. And I'm like, no, I don't like me. I don't like me. <laughs> You're not going to change my opinion of me. I don't like me. Ugh. I want to cancel me from the record. But I eventually, he, he actually did produce it pretty cool in a way that really leaned itself to my vocal performance, which was just a bit sketchy, but it's a song that means something to me. And it's just kind of a raucous tune and the the main bit of you know that we repeat in the song is you got to do what you love somehow and uh you know and that was something that mother ayahuasca taught me (laughs) it's you know crazy it's so much of the album is is littered with you know my lessons from ayahuasca the third track on the album is called get smart and uh that's about what mother ayahuasca told me which was you know you you're a songwriter and you have something to say and you have to go and do you know what you're here to do and stop feeling bad about it and stop doubting whether or not you deserve to be there you do 
and that's it. <laughs> Go do it. You got to do what you love somehow. And, uh, you know, I really, when I sing that, I mean it. And, and the whole song is sort of a, 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 you know, junior woodchuck scout book guide to not being an asshole. Um, <laughs> uh, it's, it's just, you know, the, the, the first line of like the verses are nobody but a fool likes an asshole. And that was originally my, my core. I had a chorus where I was just repeating nobody but a fool likes an asshole. Nobody but a fool likes nobody but a fool likes an asshole. Nobody but a fool likes an asshole. Nobody but a fool. And I just sang that forever. But that ended up becoming the beginning of a verse for this thing that was just all about not being a jerk, you know, the way to not, don't be a narc and, you know, don't be, uh, don't be a tool and, you know, don't be a rube and you gotta, you gotta be as smart as everybody in the room and honor everybody in the room. And when you're the coolest man alive, it doesn't matter if you're late to the party, everybody's just happy to see you because you treat everybody right and you do the things the right way. And there's a little bridge that's inspired by my father's experience in the music industry where basically he was told, you know, best smarten up boy, you know, this is it, this is your opportunity. And if you don't do it the way we want you to do it, you're not gonna have anything. And that's bullshit, fortunately. Uh, you know, and the chorus, you know, ends on, but you gotta do what you love somehow. And you gotta find a way to align with the things that you want and, you know, make a living that way, make your way in the world, make yourself valuable, doing what you love because otherwise you're just going to wither away and die like I was as I was just freaking beating myself up making myself suicidal with sort of self-doubt and like you know my perspective on myself was so awful it was incredible I mean like when I like finally connected to a couple people who were like very respectfully kindly kind of just going you're very good at this <laughs> and uh and I was just like am I am I am I good at this? <laughs> like, like pulling my fingers off the, uh, okay, I can accept this. And, you know, just accepting that at the very least, I love doing it. And I love the people who love doing it. You know, the reason why I loved, I love Savage Dragon. The reason why I got into um, Eric Larson, you know, Eric Larson's book was because of him. It was because of just how much he loved comics. He just loved the art form. He made me appreciate it. In his letter column, I would just read everything that he had to say and follow any work that he did, any book that he put out, any just little two pages here, one page there, an interview. He loved it. He just loved Jack Kirby and he loved all those people. And, I, and he just, he made me love them too. And to this day, I really have not read as much Kirby as I would like to or, or any of his heroes. They're not really my heroes. My heroes were the, the, his generation a little bit and more the generation that came after it. And you know, but it was his love of, and I'm glad I'm saying this out loud because I realized that that's what I can be for other people too. It was, it was how much he loved it all that just made me love it so all the more and want to get into it. And, and then in my first chance I got, I got into Deadpool and then I got into uh, Marvel Knights and reading Daredevil and uh, got into Punisher, even though that freaking angel Punisher sucked ass. Um, you know, but I love the Punisher anyway. And, you know, and then eventually me and my buddy, I, he was a DC guy. I was a Marvel guy. And uh, we're actually really, I got him into Savage Dragon was really the main thing. And he got me into Batman. And once I was into Batman, that was it. Gloves off, Justice League, everything. And then before you knew it, I just 
loved and worshipped at the altar of these brilliant creators who were just constantly recreating history and making it better. And I love this. I just wanted to be a part of this system where there was good art that existed and then we just grabbed it and we made it better. And then the next guy came and he made it better. And the next guy came and he made it better. And I was like, this is what the world should be like. I want to be a part of this world where we just constantly make things better. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and that was it. That was what I was drawn to. It's like, they keep making things better. It's amazing. <laughs> Yes, Batman. <laughs> Batman. And you know, it's just like the laundry list. Have you ever read a list of all the people that we have to thank for why Batman is so awesome? And I mean, we've really never gotten the best kind of Batman on the big screen. We haven't gotten him yet, but one day we're going to get him. It's going to be so awesome when they finally just let them freaking do what is there in the comics. And I don't mean fucking doing it like micro, you don't kind of micro do it. It's the way Marvel has been doing it. You know, they've been just honoring the roots of the material and bringing the feelings that we had about these things to the big screen. And the Warner Brothers has just been shit in the bed over and over again. Even when they do it well, they don't honor it. They, you know, Christopher Nolan was just in his own world doing Christopher Nolan's version of Batman. They still have yet to do the Batman that they have been publishing for years and years and years. And it's a crying shame that nobody has been exposed to a version of the long Halloween done right. Wouldn't it be beautiful, man? Uh, I'm still I'm still trying to lick the wounds of a uh, killing joke, so, you know. Oh my God, with him having sex with Batgirl? Uh-huh. Oh, oh. And it's so- oh. They dishonored Batman in such a- terrible way oh i wanted to shoot myself in the face when i read the headline i was and like it, what and ew you made batman a fetish You're like you did it you played into the stupidity of the people trying to shortchange this thing and you made it real oh there's a reason no comic creator has ever done that oh and, and it was so disheartening because you got you got the two best voice actors who, who like we were saying, we've never had. Yes, they made it real. They made it hurt. They made it hurt. I wanted to cry. There's, there's it was like when I watched Man of Steel. I, when I watched Man of Steel, I, when I watched Man of Steel, I, I kept thinking of Ogarth from freaking Iron Giant. And I literally just was like looking at Superman and I just went, Santa, it's so Superman. <laughs> and I was just like, you would make a robot cry. This movie would make a robot cry. This is this is the Man of Steel. Oh my God, Jesus H Christ! What the hell are they doing well, to somebody you... who's supposed to lift us up? And what sort of foundation is this for the Justice League when Superman is Batman? Well, to be fair, and this is the only way I'll be fair to Henry Cavill and and the uh... Henry Cavill's amazing. So Henry Cavill's does... amazing. It's just his portrayal is based on his behavior. He doesn't could, care. But it could have He doesn't care. Been. He's in the bathtub with Lois Lane and something's going on and he can hear it and he doesn't go and save those people. Hmm. What do you mean? You can come back to your girlfriend when you're done. <laughs> what the hell? Right, but I mean. With great power comes great responsibility. Spider-Man knows that, Superman. <laughs> Except for when he goes all emo. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, don't get me started about that you know the funny thing about that it's very funny when it came to the superhero movies of old i was a comic book reader and uh, you know so on one level i was a snob for for watching these movies but i always wanted to just enjoy them as best as i could and the one thing that i would always say is my only hope is that it surprises me 
And I was always just sort of like hoping it would surprise me. So when I would go into a movie that sort of baffled me, I really enjoyed it. Right. So I actually came out of Spider-Man 3 kind of really digging it, despite hating, viscerally hating a few things about it as I watched it, which was really their portrayal of Eddie Brock. Because to me, Eddie Brock was the continuation of Peter Parker being bullied in high school. And now he was being bullied as a photographer by this real a-hole bully who was just he was a jackoff and just like flash thompson was so he was flash thompson in the photography field trying to bully spider-man and then when he got the venom costume even more so spider-man finally had a bully he couldn't sense when this guy was coming this guy was sucker punching him all the time just like the bully could and that was the big thing he couldn't sense him so the bully could bully him and this big guy kept sneaking up on him and jumping him and kicking his ass and they missed that they missed that whole aspect of why we viscerally loved Venom in the comics because he was Flash Thompson with superpowers and they didn't, they didn't put that across. They, they blew it. They so the whole time I watched the movie, I was like, oh, you so blew this. But at the same time, there was a whole bunch of other shit going on that I was just completely confounded by. And I was sort of like madly endeared to some of it. I was like, this is crazy, this movie. What's going to happen next? <laughs> oh, yeah? On a glider? It's like a snowboard. This is interesting. Okay. Sandman? <laughs> All right. Okay. Hmm. See, that, that's, that's the thing. And then when I left the theater, I was like, I was into it. And then people started ripping it apart online. And then when I saw it a second time, I just saw it from their eyes completely. And I just went, oh, yeah. This is awful. Yeah, but you know what? We got to get the devil. We got to give the devil its due. Like, like you said, I thought the Sandman story arc was really good, and I, and uh, Hayden uh, Hayden Church Christian, whatever his name is. Uh, it, 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 what's his name? Uh, Sam Raimi. Sam Raimi's great, and you know the pieces of pieces of that puzzle are great. But really, just how it was all put together, the, the all the ideology underneath it, just sort of like made you hate Spider Man. You know, and made you realize how not as charming as Spider-Man is in the comics is Tobey Maguire, that he couldn't weather becoming a complete dick as Venom. You know, like, like his personality was more subdued. And when he became a douchebag in the movie, you were way more with he's a douchebag than you were with he's a good guy. You know, it like, like he sold douchebag way better than he sold awesome yeah, peter parker spider-man unlike tom holland and uh andrew garfield who i really thought was a great peter parker i, I thought mean, that, yeah. he's charming as hell and there were pieces of that saga that i quite enjoyed um you know i mean with all these things it's like there's so often brilliant creators trying to do great work but there's holes in how great it is and usually it's in the overall idea because they don't have people like me and people like you i can tell um, you know, who are more big picture thinkers and really trying to recognize the historical significance of things, the place that these things hold in the hearts of the people who are part of the, the joy of it. And um, that, you know, there are certain things based on the way these things were created, that if you screw it up, it's, it's gone. And like one of the things is that if you have, um, um, Superman can't be like Batman because they're being published on the stands next to each other mm -hmm. and different people are attracted to different characters. 
and there's some overlap, but it is different sort of personality types who gravitate towards a patriot like Captain America. Captain America is uniquely different from Superman, even though the two of them are similarly derived in their universes. Right. Um, Batman, uh, you know, is similarly derived to like a Punisher or a Daredevil, but in slightly different ways that make them significant to their own universes and also to the consciousness of the personality conversation. And that's the thing that Warner Brothers has completely missed. DC Comics has been able to build a vast stable of characters based on the fact that there are a lot of different personalities in the universe. They would get by better by looking at a map of horoscopes and making sure that each of their characters are specifically polarized to the horoscope that they are representing because that is what has kept these books on the shelf. That is why Green Arrow has a book that has been consistently on the shelf because Green Arrow, who seems like a character who should have been canceled long ago, how did this motherfucker survive comics? He survived comics by being a super leftist, um, you know, sort of uh, kumbaya, Martin Luther King representing white guy who was into that politics, practiced what he preached and was trying to make the world a better place very, very specifically in that vein and questioned the totalitarian nature of a Justice League and these powerful beings, you know, having some sort of say over the earth, like, you know, what if Superman went wrong? These are very good questions to ask. Fortunately, Superman is the man of steel and he never goes wrong. You know, occasionally in the comics, people have taken him there for shock value, but in general, that's editorial mandate and not something that the writers have ever really wanted to do. Most of the really great writers of these characters love honoring the roots of it and just being additive to it. And those are the creators that I love and I admire the most. So, I mean, really, it's just a shame that they have not recognized the inherent goodness in each of these characters being unique and not all being some 90s send up to like triple X or something, which they seem to want to make all their heroes to sort of like dust off the, well, they're in their underwear and stuff. No, man, they represent something great. You know, you could say they're extremists with powers. People believe that they should do something about this if they had the power. And, uh, but they're the ones who are doing it the right way, on some level at least. Mm -hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, they're all just perpetuating violence and, <laughs> and, really, and really probably making the world way less of a better place than they realize. But vigilanteism you know, taking the law into their own hands. <laughs> through these stories of conflict, we actually do learn how to handle conflict better. And, uh, you know, and I really do believe that they do way more good than, uh, than any damage they might do by portraying violence because they are what they portray more than anything else is idealism various ideals. Batman has a different ideal than Superman. Superman has a different ideal than Martian Manhunter has a different ideal than The Flash has a different ideal than Nightwing has a different ideal than Robin has a different ideal than Supergirl has a different ideal than Wonder Woman has a different ideal than John Constantine has a different ideal than Sandman has a different ideal than oh my goodness, Entrigan the demon. Couldn't remember his name. <laughs> they, they have carved out their unique place in the mythology because of the unique thing that they represent to us. Um, and, uh, and some of them did not come out of the gate with any unique thing. Often it was the person who came along later and again and later and again who would finally add in that thing. You know, I love to talk about the fact that Rob Liefeld takes way too much credit for Deadpool. It's great that he created the visual for Deadpool and awesome. Thank you, more power to you. Except the Deadpool 
vision that really became popular and that so many of the fans love is the more bulky Deadpool created by Ed McGuinness, which gave us the humor and physicality of Deadpool that we, we, would, we would take on. The ninja Deadpool, where he was just kind of a ripoff of Sandman, uh, Snake Eyes, was not as appealing as the, the more fun, goofy Deadpool that we got from Ed McGuinness. He created that idea along with Joe Kelly, who I think really propagated so much of that idea, really making him the Merc with the Mouth, having him break the fourth wall in so many different visceral ways that made us feel like he was us, and also making him um, a Muppet. <clears throat> the reason why we love the Muppets is because, and this is the things that people have to know who are controlling these properties. The reason we love the Muppets and why it hasn't been working is because they've given them success. And their struggle was our victory. They were so bad at what they did, yet they kept showing up and doing it anyway in their rundown little um, you know, ramshackle theater. And because they were willing to keep showing up and getting heckled by the old men in the audience, we were willing to go along with them and we were willing to believe in ourselves and uh, believe that we could do it too. If they could try, then I can try. I'm not as bad as Fozzie Bear. I'm not as bad as the Swedish chef. I'm not as bad as these stupid scientists. I'm not as stupid as Gonzo. <laughs> exactly. You know, and I mean, even, even the baseline, he's a frog running a variety show. Frogs don't run variety shows. Humans do. Right. You know, and he's doing it all wrong. He's loving people and caring about people and letting his friends get on the stage even when they have no talent. You know, that's not how you run a variety show. You run a variety <laughs> show by only letting the really good guys in, not giving any of the guys who are in a certain level a chance to shine. You know, it, it's it's so it's so the 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 perfect place for the broken hearts to go and um, understand that they have worth and they have meaning and uh, laugh your butt off and be disarmed. And, uh, you know, that is what Deadpool does because he wants to be better, but right. he can't figure it out. He can't figure out how to do it. He wants to be like Spider-Man. He wants to be like Superman. He wants to be Captain America, but he just, he's on this other path and he's always been there and he doesn't really know how to fix himself. And he keeps finding himself drawn into these situations that sort of call for exactly what he is, a demolition man <laughs> with a heart of gold, ultimately, who's trying to do the right thing, even when it's uncomfortable and it makes people uncomfortable. And that's why we love him. And that's why we love all these characters because they have been, vetted through this system of creators over time who have been able to love them in different unique ways and give each and every one of them a unique voice and they all have something to say and if people who are running the ship will allow the unique voices that have already been crafted for their characters to come through like they're currently doing at marvel studios there will be some wonderful good done in the world um, because all of these characters i believe from the bottom of my heart uh, are the modern mythology created by some of our Renaissance artists of today, the Jack Kirby's and the Jeff Darrow's and the Frank Miller's and all of the other brilliant writers like Grant Morrison and Alan Moore and Phil Hester and Eric Larson and so many others who have just been additive to this beautiful tapestry of creation. And I wish that so many people who don't appreciate comics have heard me say that because that's what everybody needs to be told. It's just, you're missing out on a renaissance, man. You just have to open your mind to appreciate it a little bit because people have lifted their nose up in the air about it. But while you weren't looking, the meek and the humble among us who didn't have all of these prejudices against doing something childish and 
didn't mind to play in the sand. They have been gifting us with some of the greatest art on creation. And uh, so many people are missing out by being snobs. And it's, it's totally it, they're being snobs and they're not, they're not enjoying and partaking in just art, great art. Well, I, I don't know how to close this show any better. Uh, I do know you have, uh, we have 15 minutes before you have to go do another uh, program. Thank you so much for not making me have to tell you that. I appreciate that, my friend. <laughs> but see, I got us a lot of time. And if you do want to have me come on, maybe, you know, in a couple of weeks from like that to do the In the Pit, um, I definitely have some very, very particular stuff and cool stories from there. Probably not uh, as long as, you know, spiritual stuff and artistic stuff. Um, but, um, but I would still love to talk about that stuff because I was, I was actually kind of thought maybe we were going to do that first because I was excited about it. But then we went here and I was like, okay, cool. I'll see what this show's all about. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's and isn't it so cool to talk about Deadpool so much on Breaking the Fourth Wall? Yeah. Kind of, kind of where I got the name from. Oh, hey, man, I love breaking the fourth wall. You know, I'm a Mel Brooks fan, you know, and all the winks and nudges to the audience in, in his movies were just my favorite parts of the movie where they just brought you into it. And I guess that's why I like those magazines, like Wizard Magazine or, you know, Stan Lee standing on his soapbox because you feel like you're a part of the experience. Well, when I do In the Pit, I, I definitely want to do In the Pit with you. Uh, so you're definitely invited back for that. And I'm going to have another friend of mine on with us. Uh, she is starting a uh, music promotion company out in Colorado. I think, I think you two would get along really well together. Oh, uh, I'd love to meet her. So, so with your permission, I'll definitely bring her on and we'll, we'll have the round table talking music. But I love round tables. I believe they all should be round. I don't mind. I'm, my, my computer's on a square one right now. Uh, yeah. It's <laughs> a round everybody? table for a reason. Why don't you everybody. tell everybody where they, can, where they can find your album and where they can get in contact with you if they have any questions or concerns. Yeah, and of course, absolutely. Guys, they, everything will be down in the description down below as well. So You know, my album is everywhere. If everybody who's on Spotify can go on Spotify and I'll see a spike from all of your listeners checking me out, that would be awesome because I can actually like see the back door on, on some of that stuff with my music. But uh, yeah, just type in Jesse Blaze. Come with me if you want to live. And uh, if you're a comic fan, um, I would ask you to go to blacklightdistrict.co. I couldn't afford the M. Um, <laughs> but... Um, but there we have posted uh, as like an art gallery. We have the three, uh, the six issues that we did. We got Jason Pearson, Phil Hester with old school colors from Eric Larson, and old school lettering from Chris Iliopoulos. And uh, we've got, um, uh, who else is in the book? Oh, we got J.K. Woodward did a fully painted um, book. They're all just like a cover and three pages, but they're lyric comic books. And you listen to the six songs on the website for free and you follow along to the comic books, to the pictures, and it tells a story. And they're all about current problems in the world right now, uh, from corruption and depression and anxiety and different things. And um, they're just, you know, really my heart on my sleeve. I set out to write some stuff about uh, comic book superheroes as an inspiration and the end of the world is like my, my epitaph. And um, I ended up writing some of the most meaningful things that I've ever written in my life. And then I gave these artists full reign to just create something cool based on the music and every one of them just knocked it out of the park if you try to go online and look um look it up look up like the critics of like black light district you will not find a single bad word uttered about the book i've never felt so honored in my life we just got like lit up with compliments and i remember one guy said it's rare that something that costs so little has so much love and value put into it 
And uh, that just like made me feel so happy and even more happy because, you know, we're giving it away for free online. So uh, if you go look it up, that's really cool. And that's a way to listen to my music and uh, my comics. And uh, I'm on Facebook. If you heard me and you want to say anything to me or whatever, you can usually message me on my personal page, which is Jesse B. Snyder. And I'm on uh, Instagram too at JesseBlaze149. I got to remember the uh, Facebook one because that'll be the easiest way to send you the links when these are up and available. Uh, yeah. We'll be also on Spotify. So you can actually follow us on Spotify too. Awesome. I will. There's a lot of, um, you know, if you like come with me, if you want to live, um, and even if you kind of liked it, but like, you know, some of the styles aren't your favorite, if you're more into pop music and, and electronica and stuff like that, Give the rest of my catalog a listen. It is all over the place. I'll give the rest of the catalog a listen, but I'm more of the rock and metal than the, the pop. Well, then you are going to love Come With Me If You Want to Live, especially if you like Faith No More and uh, Little Rage Against Machine. Like, Faith No More was always a big inspiration for me. God I love damn how it. they were. God damn it. When you were talking about that lyric uh, going over in the background, the way you were singing and shit like that earlier, that was exactly what was in my head. was like, that's, that's Faith No More. Like, <laughs> that's their song epic and i mean they have some other really great songs but i mean their song epic in particular just inspired the hell out of me and i mean ultimately that was the reason why i ended up doing some rapping on this uh new album because i was just like dude i mean that's been your favorite shit for forever and i was just like and and i and i really feel actually like i really bring something to rap because a lot of my stuff is spoken and a lot of it is sort of sung you know like i, I rap with melody so often um you know and in key you know like in, in you know so it really plays a lot different uh, than your typical rap stuff. So, I mean, I think I bring something to the game and, um, and I just enjoy that, you know, that as well as everything else. I enjoy music. So I try to use everything. All right, guys. And of course, I want to thank my guest, uh, Jesse Blaze Snyder. Thank you so much for coming on. This has been an absolute blast. Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome and i so enjoyed our conversation and i honestly i gotta say to you, say with you like sometimes i realize when i'm having a conversation that it's uh very healing for me to have the conversation right and i have been chilling out here almost having like a psychedelic experience at certain points in my body where i've been feeling like stress releasing and i think i was able to talk about a thing or two that maybe I needed to talk about. So thank you so much for being my audience and all of you guys at home for being my audience to get, I guess, something or another that I had to get off my chest because I feel way better. <laughs> so this was great for me as well. Thank you very much. <laughs> just, remember the, Anytime. just remember to sign the name right on the check when you send it later. No. <laughs> but guys, if you enjoyed this episode in any capacity, hit that thumbs up button, like, share, comment, subscribe, check out all the other great podcasts, Realm of the Miss Entertainment. And of course, if you prefer your podcast in audio only format, as you heard I'm me tell Jesse you. there, uh, you can find us on anchor.fm, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever quality podcasts can be heard. Again, also keep an ear out for In the Pit where Mr. Jesse Blaze is going to come back again. We're going to argue a little bit about music. And Hell yeah, I'm in. I'm in for it. <laughs> Getting in the pit. Who sucks and who's cool? Yeah, in the pit. In the pit. I have some opinions. I'm going to get myself in trouble and put my foot in my mouth. <laughs> but you know what? I mean, like, really, I love everybody. And I appreciate what everybody has to offer. And I know I can, I can get to that place with anyone. But at the same time, I do have a lot of thoughts about who is doing music right and who is using their power for good because i believe with great power comes great responsibility and there are some people who i think have not realized the power that they hold and are inadvertently not always using it for good 
As a matter of fact, I, I now know how we'll do in the pit. I know how we'll do it. I promised I would uh, review his album. He promised he would review mine. Oh, <laughs> I'm so in. This sounds like fun, buddy. Yes. I'm going to open up the platform for him to tell me how fucking terrible I am. <laughs> oh, yeah. no, hey, man, I, I, will be, I will be legit with you, man. I, I, you know, I'm, an, I'm an art director. You know, all I do is work with artists and stuff. And you, you don't do anybody any good by uh, mincing words. At the same time, you don't do anybody good by hurting their feelings and insulting them and discouraging them. You know, so it's, it's always a matter of, you know, uh, you know, the greatest reviewers online are the ones who are like, you know, I appreciate what this person was trying to do, but, you know, it plays a little bit more like this. Right. So, guys, keep an eye out for that, and I will catch you on the next Breaking the Fourth Wall. Have a good night. Hey guys, it's Chris from Realm of the Mist Entertainment. If you enjoyed this video, please hit that thumbs up button. Like, share, comment, subscribe. Check out all the other great podcasts that can be found on Realm of the Mist Entertainment's YouTube channel or our sister channel, Sounds Dicey Gaming, for all your tabletop needs. And if you prefer your podcasts in audio-only format, check out Realm of the Mist Entertainment on Anchor.fm, Apple iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever quality podcasts can be heard. To our Patreon supporters, we thank you very, very much. And if you're interested in being a Patreon supporter, please go over to patreon.com slash realm of the mist and just a dollar a month gives you exclusive content and helps our channel out greatly. Guys, again, thank you very much for joining us and we will see you on the next episode.